There he is. Recording in progress. Recording in progress. Right, excellent. Oh, Flux is upside down Ooh. for me. Oh, not again. He's. I got him the right way around a minute ago. He's hanging like his back. Hmm. Hmm. <coughs> You're pretty quiet, but Ooh, I've got my volume turned up. Oh, hang a second. Let's turn it up. <coughs> It's unusual for you. Normally you're quite loud. Hmm. Uh, um, how's that? Any better? Um, well, I'll actually, I've got the volume turned up, so I, I can hear you, but I don't know what the hmm. recording will be like. Hmm, okay. Uh, hang a second. Two. Audio. Yeah, it's all coming out. That's oh, yeah. There we go. Let's turn that up. How about that? There? Oh, yeah. There we are. All right, then. No need to shout. <laughs> I'm being unreasonable now. There we are. <laughs> there we are. Right. Excellent. Billingsley looking over my shoulder here. It's rather <laughs> looking, frightening. Looking at you. Yeah, you should have on the other side. Like, <laughs> 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 Excellent. You all right? Uh, yeah. A little <laughs> tired from the weekend, but oh. yeah. That run that I did, and then mm. didn't get, because I dosed myself up with caffeine before the race. It's supposed to make you feel better and give you a bit more energy, keeps your mental positive mental attitude through the race. Because I don't get much sleep the next the next night, so uh, mm. I was awake from about four o'clock this morning. Got to sleep okay, but then woke up and just couldn't get back to sleep. And, and a long day at work, which I stayed another hour at work, so I didn't get home till about an hour ago. So. Oh cripes! Well, I mean, I will try and keep this as quick as possible, <laughs> so you can actually get some rest. So, Paul, what do you think? This is my favourite yeah. episode. Well, that's enough of that for today. And it's all next done week now. We will be doing. Paul, Paul, <laughs> you fine? You right? Yeah. Paul. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to like, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to it. If you space time, the ever expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission, to locate every second, contemplate every eon, from outside time to the Big Bang, to the 20th century, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek podcast. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 14 of the podcast and Season 1, Episode 12 in our chrono date. We are in Enterprise and it is Dear Doctor, a Flock special. It's going to be a good one. Uh, again, I'm not alone. Just bring him up on the computer. This is now Paul back again. Incoming transmission. Hello. Yes, I'm back. I don't think I've ever left really. No. I think I'm... No. I just can't get away. No. No. But yes, I'm back again. One of my favourite episodes. You could not keep me away from this one. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this was actually the first one you requested to be on. I think all the other ones you sort of came to later. But I think when I, when I was posting and asking for guests, this was the first one on your list. So, yeah, it had to be this one. It had to be. And, yeah, this is a personal favourite as well from the whole of season one for Enterprise. Love this episode. So not to tip the ratings, but, yeah, yeah, we're liking this one. So well, prepare for a love fest, everybody. Um, 
Not between me. And no, me. no. Well, well, <laughs> well Paul, I've never, <laughs> never seen you in such a way before. Cue that music. <laughs> Editing in here. There we go. Um, in case anyone has been sleeping under a rock or just sleeping, uh, just like you want to after your running, uh, which you just did in the weekend, um, uh, remind the listeners where they have heard from you before. Well, you will have heard of me from, uh, you may have heard from me from my previous podcasts, <laughs> such as... Hi, I'm Troy McClure. Uh, the Cosmic Pizza Podcast, uh, which we do with Dan and Sean. Uh, the Epsilon 3, which is a new podcast we've just started, which is a Babylon 5-related podcast, again, with uh, Sean and Dan. Uh, I've previously been on 10 Forward, podcasted now for a good number of years, and I still can't get it right. <laughs> well, I mean, just, just to place it in its uh, time, we're recording the Epsilon 3, and they have just announced, literally, we were talking about it 30 minutes ago uh, on uh, social media, that there's a reboot for Babylon 5 coming. Um, Yay. Any thoughts? We could be here all night on that one. This is, that's a, a Cosmic <laughs> Pizza podcast all yeah. by itself, isn't separate it? Separate episode. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, they're talking about a reboot. They're talking about, uh, well, Claudia Christian, uh, on, Claudia Christian on her social media was saying that she's involved, but it doesn't know in, in what way. Uh, so that'll do me. A little bit um, nervous about, recasting people because we've had we t spoke about this in one of our previous episodes and in fact only came out last month mm. um on the cosmic pizza podcast uh, about recasting babylon 5 and who would we have in it as our choices um i hope they were listening to our podcast because That'd i mean be great. that would be a good uh, some good people in there mm. um but i have a feeling they'll bring in people that won't be as good i think the people who have seen it before will think it's not as good as the original new people to it might think oh this is quite good and if it's contemporary actors, then you know they will like it. Uh, so yeah, it will. Be, it was the same as as, as when uh, Star Trek rebooted. Hmm. You have new people coming to it, uh, you know, with Discovery and, and what have you. They like it because it's you know it's new to them. It's it is um, up to date and modern in its feel. It's not the old nineteen sixties stuff. But all the people who have seen Star Trek before are saying, well, it's not as good as it used to be, and it's not the same, and of course it's not the same. It moves on. So. I think we'll get a mix of, of outrage and absolute love. <laughs> yep. You can't be anywhere in between. It has to be polar opposites these days. So it's all good. Yes. But I mean, this series, the Enterprise series that we're watching is no stranger to that. Uh, so um, without further ado, should we get on with the episode? Why not? Why not? There we go. That's the best uh, segue I could think of. Um, but <laughs> moving on to Dear Doctor. So uh, we start our scene at uh, zero minutes zero seconds with the episode it's a full episode there's no time travel shenanigans uh it's a scene in sick bay just before the credits where Flox is feeding his pets and it's just a nice little scene there's I mean, really no need for it to be in there i mean i know he sort of mentions pets later on in the episode but it didn't have to be there uh they could have easily just started with hoshi walking in as they do after the credits uh, any thoughts on just this little character piece, this little nugget of Flox's life? Well, you just hit the nail on the head there, uh, Dan, by saying it's a character piece. It absolutely sets his character. Um, you know, it, you've already got this uh, this 
Dodobulin, who is looking after his. You say pets. I'm still trying to work out whether they're pets or specimens, <laughs> or whether they're you know, they're actually parts of his um, you know, his compounds that he would put together to make a you know an aspirin or something, ground leech and all that type of thing. Um, but yeah, it is a great little piece. He's talking to himself. He's talking to you know. He, 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 funny thing is, he says a bit later about anthropomorphizing, which is a word I can't say. And yet he's doing it himself. Yeah. So uh, you know, talking to his his pets. But I do like it. You know, there's the the point where he he dangles this blue grub over the uh, over this box and, it, and drops it in, and he goes roar and eats it. And then he gets another one out, and he's just about to drop it in again. Then he eats it himself. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I love that. I, just uh, is he is he is he eating the same worm as his specimens, or is it do do, do they eat the same things, or is he is he just hungry, or or, or what? Who know. knows? Who knows? I mean, it's sort of a callback to an episode we've already had in Strange New World where he was telling Hoshi that people eat grubs and, and snails uh, and he didn't say anything about him doing the same thing. He was saying people generally do that. This is an accepted behaviour. Uh, maybe he was trying to, you know, pave the way to make it acceptable that that's what he was doing in front of everyone else. Um, but yeah, I, I like it. It's just a nice little character study. You know, just without words, you can just show what he's doing, the kind of man he is, the kind of doctor he is as well, and what on earth is going on in sickbay. Um, yeah, that's right. The, the day-to-day stuff that you don't normally see. And, yeah, it, 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 I, it, I was, I thought, by the time we got to the titles, I thought, oh, well, but shouldn't they have started it with somebody coming into sickbay being hurt? But, of course, as we find out in a minute. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's exactly what happens after the credits, after you skip the intro or whether you listen to the whole song, it's entirely up to you. Uh, you go straight into sickbay again and you get Hoshi coming in with a letter from a pen pal, uh, Dr. Lucas from the Interspecies Medical Exchange, who is now staying on Denobula. Uh, he is sending a letter to Flox and now Flox is then detailing his day and daily routine on board the ship. Uh, which is a nice little framing device. I really like this opening way of setting up the episode and that they keep with it for the entire episode. It's not just a little gimmick that they've thrown in and maybe they'll come back to it a few episodes time. It's a nice way of explaining this, which can be quite a heavy episode in a nice uh, open letter format. Uh, any any ideas on, on this uh, uh, talking uh, and monologuing over the episode itself? I do like it. I've seen it a lot in MASH, and I think Dear Doctor is one of the titles of the MASH episodes as well, where Hawkeye, um, Alan Alder, narrates over the the episode. I like it. It gives it because it's basically a piece about him, mm. uh, a character piece about him. He can't be sitting there just, they can't just focus on him as he walks around the place because there'll be long periods of walking through corridors or. You know, dealing with it with a burn and not there's not much dialogue. Well, you, so you throw over the the dialogue explaining about what's going on now, or maybe what's happening in the background. And this is just sort of I I, I do like it. This is sort of just um, keeping the, the 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 scenes going whilst there's not really anything interesting going on, but you're moving the plot forward. Mm. It's a really good. Um, I do like it. I'm I'm reading a um, a science fiction book at the moment written by a, a female author called Julia Hooney or Honey. Yeah, I, I can't. I don't know which way to pronounce it, H-U-N-I. Uh, look her up, she's amazing. But uh, her book, um, a, there's a series of books about the space janitor, about um, a girl, say girl, in her early 20s, who's um, basically a maintenance uh, person. And she, the, the whole book is written in the first person. 
and it's a, it's the first time I've ever read a proper book, if you mm. want, um, not, not like a, an autobiography, which is virtually first person all the way through. Um, a fiction book that is in first person is very, very interesting, and mm. I really, really like the style. And this is the same. It's like a first person um, episode, if you like. Yes. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, there's there's that scene that sort of comes up a little bit later after they found the shuttle with the the occupant on board, and it's all about you know how are we maneuvering all this sort of thing, and Flox is sort of standing in the background and saying how he admires all of Archer's attempts to you know show resources and and uh, help people he barely knew two days ago. Um, it's a nice way of uh, of showing us that there is the day to day routine, but it can show so much about who we are. Um, yeah. I completely agree. And I, I, yeah, fascinated to read that book, The Space Janitor. That should be interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it is a good book. Excellent. Uh, We get some jokes in some of the uh, monologuing about uh, Denobulan mating season and having to uh, use some drugs to pry apart the combatants. Um, I want to know what exactly is going on there, or do I not want to know? I don't know. I just love the word combatant. (laughs) It's like they all know. They all know what it means. Um, There's uh, a little scene where he's obviously also taken to uh, engineering and he treats some burns and it's very, you know, day to day again, but he's obviously earned the trust of the crew and they're more than willing to let him apply whatever gels that he's uh, making, possibly out of the same eels in his sick bay. And there is like a, a slightly bittersweet scene after that where he's sitting on his own in the mess deck and he's um, trying to socialize but no one's really giving him any time or coming to sit at his table he's on his own but literally three people are squashed in on one table just behind him right next to the bulkhead um it, maybe it's his fault maybe in previous episodes where he's been offering to watch them mate or he's been observing their behavior it's putting people off i don't know uh but any thoughts on his little scene there and when reed sort of snubs him and says he's needed in the armory well i think that's there's two parts of that um scene yes uh, you know flocks on his own he's an alien amongst a human crew so yeah of course he's a um a unique individual uh, obviously, we still have um, uh, Commander Tapal, but of course she's high up, so you wouldn't necessarily keep bumping into her in the mess hall. With with Flocks, um, it's a good way of showing that he's still, you know, not not untrusted, but there's still people who are getting used to having an alien around. Um, you know, this is the early days still of of you know alien contact in on Earth, and it's it's an interesting way of showing it, you know, even on a um, uh, when he's a trusted person, on trusted by the captain, uh, the the crew with the rank and file are still a little bit suspicious about him. The second part of that is um, Malcolm coming up to him and saying, uh, "Oh no, I've got to be somewhere else." Well, that's just Malcolm. I mean, he doesn't like talking to people at the best of times. So maybe two single people on there that don't really get on with other people, you're not comfortable with sitting and talking. It's hardly surprising he's going to move on. Um, but I mean, later on, we, we, we and, and more into the scene, we do see him interacting with two people in particular, and I, I think he's a, a little bit more popular with the with the ladies. Mm, just a little bit, yeah. I had the exact same note on my um, I think Reed worst choice ever was all I wrote down. Um, <laughs> we've literally had a whole episode about how he was the worst socialite on board, and why Flocks didn't think that maybe that was a bad choice. I don't know. Um, 
but I, I do like the little phrase that came out after that scene immediately after he said because i'm a doctor they have to come to me anyway so even if they won't socialize with me eventually they get to know me because they appreciate what i can do for them which may not be a nice sentiment when you really think about it that people only uh, seem to give you attention if they can get something from you and seems a bit on star trek but it's a good jumping off point in showing that uh star trek enterprise hasn't figured everything out yet that like you say the the crew aren't used to having an alien around 24 7 we go straight into the next scene which is the porthos and cheese scene uh where we uh hear archer um is just too soft on porthos as i think anyone would be uh, he's just too cute but uh any any thoughts on uh being too soft on your pets oh yeah i mean we've got a cat i mean you know so i'm not I'm, i i don't mind dogs so, you know I'm, i wouldn't say i'm a dog person or such but they're very high maintenance, so I, I don't really get dogs so much. Cat's fine, just let them get on with it. Mm. Um, but yes, we, we're a, well, I was going to say we're soft on our cat. Well, yes, we are to a certain degree, but we don't keep feeding him bits and pieces like that. And mm. we can't just throw rubbish down a, a poor animal <laughs> that may, you know, may not get on with cheese or whatever piece of food you're going to give them. You have to be careful with dogs, especially where you can't give them chocolate, I believe, and mm. certain things like that. So I think with cats, you, you know, cats can't eat certain things. And if you keep spoiling them with cheese, you, I mean, my first thought was, it's an enclosed space, this spaceship. You start feeding a dog cheese, mm-hmm. your crew quarters are going to start smelling a bit whiffy after a while. Just a bit. So, yeah. There's one crew member who's a less of a socialite than both Phlox and Reed, and it's the poop scooper. Uh, so there's there's another character that we haven't met yet who is obviously the ship's pooper scooper. Um, he has to keep walking two, you know, two three meters behind the, <laughs> the dog you know, with the bag with a glove on with a bag ready. You just hear a down the corridor. It's like I'm coming, I'm coming, and he's just fixing the glove on. He's running. I'm coming, sir. Ah, uh, yeah. It's yeah, uh, the anthropomorphizing. I can't even say it either, um, and uh, that sort of character study as well. We we learn so much more about Archer as well. I mean, we've seen other scenes where he gives in to Porthos's whim, uh, but to see that it's actually a medical problem and he just carries on doing it, and that Archer's got this flaw to his personality. It's it's so nice just to see this. The characters enjoying themselves. The the actors getting to sort of stretch and not just have the you know sci-fi problem of the day to react to. Um, it's just nice and it makes it more believable. And I think it's another reason why I love this episode um, as well. Uh, any other thoughts on that? Uh, no, other than, like you say, it's almost like a, a day-to-day episode, isn't it? It's like Data's Day, if you like, you know, it's, you know that sort of thing of you know, seeing what happens when there's no big mission going on or anything you know, until a big mission does. comes along. Absolutely. <laughs> Before the mission comes along, we've got one more scene where it's movie night. Uh, and um, uh, I... Just a message out to uh, Jen from the Snap Trek. There is no trip hatred in this episode. I didn't have one moment where I had a trip hatred. He's in this scene where he's crying a tear. I would never hold that against a man. You can cry at movies. That's absolutely fine. Um, but uh, there is no trip hatred in this. But there is a little moment where he's trying to sort of, you know, say, oh, I've got something in my eye. It's just too much. Um, and Flox is observing everyone watching the movies. Um, we get Cutler. Cutler comes back. She's already been Yay. in a few episodes as well. Um, and she was studying bugs last time we saw her a few episodes ago in Strange New World again. And now she is getting to know Phlox. Uh, any thoughts on Cutler in general? Oh, 
Well, I mean, what can we say about this? I mean, I think this relationship was going to be fantastic. Yes. I think these two were going to get on well. You can see she's very easygoing, and so is Flox as well, although he has his eccentricities. Um, I think this was going to be a long-term thing. Um, it's just sad that um, it couldn't happen. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, the, the two were perfect together. I think they acted well together. I think they, they you know, there was a chemistry there between characters and actors. And um, it would have been nice for uh, Phlox to have had uh, some female companionship, even though he's already got a couple of wives yeah. around. <laughs> yes, as we found find out later on, yeah, he's got uh, three wives and they've all got two husbands, not including him. So everybody's married three times. Um, I, I just couldn't even process that. I'm not going to shame any uh, polygamous relationships out there, but the dynamics really, alone. I mean, three wives is not so bad. It's possible you could do that. Yes. You could find three women that you get on with and they like you. And if, you know, a polygamous marriage, if that's Mm -hmm. the right word, um, that could work Mm. in in, in real life, not just on on stage. And probably has. I think Mm -hmm. I've heard of people getting married numerous times, but still being, you know, friendly with each other. However, it does come with three mother in laws. Oh, good, good point. Mm. Yeah. Oof. I don't even want to think about that. I mean, <laughs> no. no wonder Flox uh, stays on the Enterprise. That's, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> yes, that's right. Then. <laughs> Although, just to say, I do like my mother-in-law. So maybe there's a few nice ones out there. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. She doesn't listen to the podcast, but I'm still going to say it anyway. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, we s- sort of find out that Denobians don't have movies either, or they did about 100 years ago, and they found their real lives more interesting. Um, a very hopeful message. Do you ever think that that would be possible for us? Yeah, I mean, what happened 100 year- years ago to make them realise that their lives were better than movies? I mean, what? what? That's the whole point of movies, <laughs> is to make the movies better than your life, so that you go and see them and say, I wish I could... You know, aspire. I want to aspire to that. I want to do that. Or, you know, I want to hate this person. I want to love this woman. I want to you know, love this man. I want to, you know, I, I can empathize with these characters. And and now you're saying that you can do that in real life. <laughs> yeah, it, it's better to do it in real life than it is to actually watch a movie and be inspired and feel those emotions. But mm, no, no, weird. I can't see taking off, especially in, in the UK. We're all far too reserved. <laughs> Well, I mean, with the price of cinema tickets as they are at the moment, and if he is married to three wives and they've all got husbands as well, and then they all have children, I can't even imagine how much popcorn would be costing. Uh, So maybe that's why the movie industry just collapsed. No one could afford to go. Well, that's right. Well, you say we're just taking the family for a movie. You'd need the whole cinema. (laughs) You'd need the whole theatre, wouldn't you? I mean, you've got three wives and you've got their kids. They'll be their parents as well. You know, it's a family film, you know, and... That's well, it. Some of all, you know, brought their own, you know, a few friends as well. That's it. You're in. The, the, the whole theatre's taken. That's it. And even if they move to streaming services, you know, Genobial Flix, um, it would just be, uh, you know, it, how many accounts do you have to have on one thing? And would that company allow that? You know, you've got 12 accounts registered to this uh, single Genobial Flix account. Uh, yeah. We can't allow any more. What are you going to do? Yeah, that's right. Flox Flix. Flox Flix. Oh, Flox Flix. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Flox and Chill. There we go. Um, uh, <laughs> That's how they got there in the first place. <laughs> oh, see. 
uh, after they leave the movie uh, there's a nice little talk about um uh, learning biology so she is being taught biology by flocks and she's learning aortic valves up to hearts and talking about how uh, the heart is just a pump why do your why does your species think that it's full of emotions and all this sort of thing and you, you lead with maybe your head not your heart and that's the true so, you know, source of um how you feel i thought that was a really nice character moment for the two of them but a really good setup for the episode itself that he was talking about how your head can't always rule your heart and the decisions that may be coming later in the episode yeah i mean the, the, this is i mean with uh, cutler i think that, that i would have loved to have seen her um grow through this series and i think uh, even you know sort of in the the few episodes she was in she showed already that she was a great actress and there was, there was no problem with you know what she could do it was just a constantly she was just brought in as the love interest if, if she'd made it so that at the end of this season uh you know she'd gone on to become uh well was she crewman at the moment so she would have made ensign i suppose mm. in the next next bill mm. and then maybe you know lieutenant after that or whatever or whatever the progression is go through the ranks as you go through the series um a little bit like in the next gen episode where we have uh, ensign sonia gomez in the next gen um episode mm. where she spills coffee, uh, hot chocolate all over Captain Picard. So she's seen very much as the, oops, you know, this is the um, the bumbling uh, crewman or ensign or whatever. Mm. In the books, she is brought back and she eventually makes captain in the books. And I love that progression. And um, I think it's a great idea to take somebody who starts off, you know, sweeping the floor and, and you know, making the tea and all that type of thing, coming up through and making it into captain. You don't see that in it in any of the episodes you see it with wesley a little bit he he progresses a little bit and then it sort of just stops mm. um i think maybe um uh, my man here behind me uh what's his name chief, the irish guy chief o'brien chief o'brien mm. chief o'brien definitely you know sort of you know started off as just a guy who you know sent people on the way and then the next thing you know he's engineering and the next minute he's on deep space nine as the, the chief engineer so yeah it's it's sort of you know we progressed I want to see that with Crewman Cutler. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, if it's not Crewman Cutler, maybe it'd be the Pooper Scooper, uh, just seeing him progress as he goes through. Yeah. And, you know, he's... you can imagine his nickname as the captain. Can't <laughs> yeah. Yes. Dirty Harry. Every <laughs> job. <yeah. laughs> hey, Captain. Ch oh, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> uh, uh, we move into the scene where they actually do find the shuttle and we're on the bridge and we see that the. Uh, uh, the Valakis are found, these uh, sick, dying aliens who have flung themselves into space on the hope that they will find someone with better medical technology. Uh, before we sort of go anywhere uh, after the scene, they start off trying to use the translator. And I like how it can work out almost all the language in two sentences being spoken. That's pretty, yes. pretty good going. Uh, any thoughts on Universal Translator and oh, what it was? It's doing? the MacGuffin, isn't it? It's just the you know, oh, let's get this out. Yeah, and I, and I like the idea of the translator where they have to record it, and then the computer can sort of synthesize it and get an idea through um, you know the um, cadence and all that of the, of the of the sentences and the words. I like that idea, and that's a great way of showing that we haven't got Universal Translators yet, but we're getting there. But then you just say, just need a couple more words. Oh, come on. <laughs> a couple more words. You need more than a couple more words. You need full sentences. And it, 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 but I know we'll push for time, and I know this is a, a thing to get things going. And um, 
but and I do, but and I do like the way that sort of the, the actor sort of starts. You know, he, he starts speaking. There's a lot of language in this, and I don't mean mm. bad language. I mean foreign language, alien language. Mm. There's a lot of people using it. There's a, a nice scene with, which we'll speak about later in the in the mess hall, um, where you need subtitles really, but you you know they explain what they're saying and then why they're saying it. Uh, I like the fact that they they do use uh, the alien language, and then suddenly he starts speaking uh, English. So that we can uh, understand that yeah, the translator is now working, even though his mouth is, you know, forming English words and, and, and things. He's speaking in a foreign language and it's being translated. That always bugs me. But you know, hey, it's one of the things. What are you going to do? Yeah, I, I always wonder, like, you know, is it going to be the Monty Python Hungarian uh, translation book where it's? Uh, I am not buying this record. It is scratched. I will not buy this record. It is scratched. I'm sorry. I will not buy this record. It is scratched. No, no, no. This is a tobacconist. <laughs> tobacconist. Ah! ah! <laughs> I will not buy this tobacconist. It is scratched. No, no. Tobacco. Um, cig- cigarettes. Cigarettes? Cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, uh, my hovercraft is full of eels. Huh? My hovercraft. It's full of eels. Um, you know, what context does it have for that? I, I know he just came out of the scanner chamber. So my sort of mental headcanon is that they can scan the brain. And if his brain sort of works like XYZ alien that they've met before, they can then extrapolate a language based on syntax that way. That's always been my headcanon. If they can medically scan you, perhaps the brain waves, perhaps the way your chemistry is wired, that languages seem to work a certain way for a certain kind of brain type in an alien you know maybe there's a classification of a b c d aliens uh, humans are something else and you know anyone who's like that seems to have a language that's very similar that's always been my head canon i know i don't know whether that would actually work or stand up and i you know as far as the lips moving i always thought that maybe it, it digitally projects a mouth on top of you and if someone like gets the wrong setting there's like a mustache maybe a curly mustache it's all black and white maybe suddenly like half your face doesn't look like the rest of your face um which may have worked quite well for this alien because the makeup looked very weird to me i don't know about you but it looked very white on the makeup and then suddenly it goes into human tones of skin um there was a big separation between the makeup and the face itself Hmm. yes i'm just looking at the picture of it now yes it's too much powder on his face especially Mm. on his forehead and and, uh, yeah it is very white well white but it is a lot lighter than Mm. than normal yeah Hmm. strange yes it's very alien very handy really yeah it's always good yeah i mean the white jumpsuit any any thoughts on the the fashion choice (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to think what it looks like a um I don't know what that is. It's like strings that are going across his chest, which is, it looks like you, you should either pluck it like a harp mm. or um, or strum it. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a musical instrument as well. It's like a guitar and you can just play the chest. Whilst, yeah, whilst they're out in space, whilst they're waiting to get picked up, it's like, yeah, bling, bling, bling. That's it. <laughs> yeah. maybe. maybe he's just in his pajamas. <laughs> poor, guy, poor guy hasn't had time to get changed. <laughs> He was on a, a dent. He was on a ski trip and he just got pulled and sucked out from it. I don't know, maybe. Uh, yeah. But it kind of looked like Daniel's suit from uh, the uh, cold front and the, the time warfare suit as if it had been spray painted white. That's all I thought of it whenever I saw it. Um, 
I don't know whether that was actually the design. Maybe they just ran out of costume and they just thought, ah, spray paint it white, no one will notice. Um, or whether it's, a, you know, a throw-in idea that maybe they were the start of the, the, the uniforms. I don't know. I think, I think, yeah, I think they were sort of saying, well, you know, uh, remember Ratashi, our sister? Do you think we can get away with that again? <laughs> Very true, very true. Uh, I just like the idea that they would just pull out the wardrobe. It's like, uh, let's go for a Tashi R today. That'd be great, yeah. Yes. <laughs> hey, look what I found. It's Tashi R's. <laughs> oh, we've got to use that again. Let's get our money's worth out of it. Tie-dye it, turn it orange, that'll be absolutely fine. No worries. Yeah. Uh, next one. Um, they, uh, the Valakis have found two other alien species in the past. Uh, the uh, Maclex, the Maclexa, and a strange species called the Ferengi. Mm. Yeah, never heard of them before. Yeah. Um, the Ferengi, uh, this isn't the first time we've seen them on this podcast. We saw them back in the 1940s, uh, back in our, uh, our other seasons. But this is the first official uh, mention of the Ferengi as far as Enterprise is concerned. Uh, I like that they dropped in a species. Do you think that the Ferengi makes sense or that it should have been maybe something else? Why not the Ferengi? I mean, they, they haven't had much in the way of um, exposure. I mean, I'll, I'll, it's better than just saying the Klingons, the Romulans, you know, the, the mm. usual people we always hear about, you know, the Daleks, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's get on with some not so minor, but other, you know, uh, aliens that you know, of worth. I mean, you know, we, we all know the, the Ferengis. We know they've been around for a long time. So why not mention them? Yeah, that's mm. good. Yeah, it, I just like the idea that maybe they turned up and tried to sell them a health plan and they actually got kicked <laughs> off the planet because they just couldn't afford it. <laughs> yes. Um, they keep with the letter format as we go through the episode, even though we sort of introduced this new A plot. I was I was really confused going through the episode. It just sort of like holds something against it, even though I love this episode. Uh, were they going to go for this character piece as the A plot and the Valakis are a B plot? Or is it the other way around? Or... Is there two A plots? It, it felt really weird. The, we've seen it in other episodes so far. We mentioned it actually back on uh, Silent Enemy, how you had two disparate storylines. This one at least overlaps, but it's very weird how they give a lot of attention to one thing, then it seems to sweep away for a bit, and then they'll come back to it much later on. The the cut, the story goes on for the first 20 minutes, I think. Then you get the Valakis for a good 10 minutes, and then Cutler sort of comes back, even though she's sort of peppered through, that that story resolution doesn't come till much later. Um, any thoughts on the story structure and, and whether it confused you? It's almost a three-piece uh, show in that you've got Flox, who's obviously the glue that holds it all together, and then you've got interactions with Hoshi, interactions with uh, Cutler, and interactions with um, the, the captain. And each time you're getting a different story. You're getting the, the medical story, you're getting the uh, Hoshi, um, you know, how they're becoming friends and she's learning the language and, and she's trying to help him with, you know, Cutler's relationship with him and all this. And then you've got the Cutler relationship as well. So it, it's like, there's almost like three stories. The last one obviously is the, 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 um, the last one in, in the sense of the medical um, uh, thing is really there to sort of, show what happens before the prime directive sort of becomes a thing mm. and you know it I, although i do think it's a bit heavy the way he mentions it but you know it's just it, if only we could have some sort of directive you know. 
Have you been swallowing the thesaurus again, Captain? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Just you just want to point out that this is the prime directive we're talking about. The directive. <laughs> too much emphasis on that word, Jonathan. There's another crewman who but goes yeah, behind with like a prophecy sign, and he just stands there and waits, make sure that everybody gets the point of the episode. <laughs> yes, this isn't horrible history, you know. <laughs> this is true. A little rat with a sign. This is how it began. <laughs> Horrible histories. <laughs> Crewman fourth wall breaker. Crewman fourth wall breaker. Can we get you to the lounge, please? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's yeah. It is very much a three piece um, on on not an ensemble, but there's a, you know there's a, a just the three of them that, or the, the four of them really, but the three people that are the main big sort of characters that help uh, the, the the progression of the episode. And there's a nice mix of each. I, I like it. So it's not all just A plot, B plot. It's a sort of little story that meanders through the uh, through the episode, mm. centred on uh, flocks. I like it. Um, we go down to the hospital and we see our way around. And I like the layout of the hospital, even though it is alien and we see all the alien text everywhere and all the things. You see these devices. You see binders and folders laid out on shelves. Um, but you're seeing plastic sheeting as a as a way of keeping diseases out. Um, it's almost modern day, uh, and just seeing how people are progressing and, and dealing with this disease, whatever it may be. Uh, any thoughts on the aesthetic, on the on the design of the hospital, and and any imagery that may be invoked from our recent pandemic? Yes, I mean you do get that feeling, like you say, of the pandemic with with lots of. Um, hospital beds separated by, as you say, sheeting, you know, plastic sheeting. Um, looks like one guy's got an avocado on his face. I never didn't quite get to the bottom of that. But um, it, it's yeah, but, but and it, it's still got that feel of uh, the original series. It's not quite right up to date. Mm. Well, it is up to date, but it's in the past, so it it looks TOS ish. Mm. Um, without the flashing lights but lots of buttons and lots of dials on the on the walls that, that give you that sort of 1960s what can we make out of this bit of wood cheaply guys put it on the wall <laughs> make it look like the lights and knobs and things uh it, so it, it it always sets it in the right period it's the wrong um planet but you know it's, mm. it's that sort of period uh, they are technologically advanced on their planet uh, but obviously uh, the crew of the enterprise has a little bit more technology so um it, it it does show it uh, show its weaknesses you know, where, where they they they're fallible. They haven't got a cure for this disease. They think they might have an answer, but it'll take a long time to sort out. So mm. um, I do I, I like the whole setup. It 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 looks futuristic, but still looks retro at the same time. Mm. It's really clever. Yeah, it was interesting to watch and think that you know how is this hospital run? Is it like our modern day hospitals? And you know, there's there's investment investors and money being thrown around. You know, the Ferengi have just been here, so maybe that's the case as well. Uh, but I did look on some of the screens on some of the little computers next to the patients, and there are little glyphs that look very Ferengi. Uh, it's almost as though those were the things the Ferengi had given them, not any cures or anything like that, but they'll give them a little bit of technology to monitor a heart rate and things like this. Um, I felt like that was either a deliberate touch or I'm just seeing too much into it. I don't know. Uh, but it, it felt like that was a, a real intention to try and put something in there. Um, but uh, yeah, the look of the hospital, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, the Menk, 
the Menk come next, we discover that there isn't one species. There are two species on this planet. Uh, just in general, how, what do you think about the Menk? What, how do you think about them? I don't like the way they call them species. This, this really gets my back up on it. When you have two humanoid um, uh, race, it's a race. It's not a species. Mm. Um, they're, the, you know, they're both humans, they're both, in effect. Uh, it gets me a little bit worried when they say they're different species. Mm. In what way are they a different species? What they don't have the little ridges on the forehead or whatever, or you know, is it just the skin's a different color? And that really starts to make me think: Are we really using the right words here? Um, it's not like two different dogs, which you know, they, they totally look different, but they are quite recognizable as dogs. These are humans. These are real people and other actors. Hmm. But you know, it's to call them a species, a different species, worries me. Um, and it has happened on, on every single iteration of Star Trek. You know, they always have a number of species on the planet. Uh, we don't have species; we have races. And I think we should keep it that way. Mm. Um, but, so I don't, see, I don't see what the difference is between them. They obviously have some sort of uh, genetic makeup that stops them from getting this disease, and it could be used to help you know, the others. But um, they are being deliberately held back. I think you know, they, mm. you can see that they learn very quickly, given that chance and that opportunity to you know to learn they could quite easily overtake this te technologically advanced civilization that's sprung up mm. um so and yes this this you know i i i don't fear for them in the sense that they're going to get wiped out because mm. in 200 years time the technologically advanced guys will have gone and these guys will take over and hey presto we'll have an even more advanced civilization because you know they seem to be a bit more capable of learning things quickly yes so, yeah but there is, it is a bit of a trope in Star Trek to have this, where you have, you know, uh, intelligent people and stupid people. You know, yeah. And that's the way it is. You know, they, they're the people that live in caves. They're thick. They don't know what they're doing. They're just, you know, like cavemen. Whoa, and we're superior because we live in the clouds and we have this, you know, whatever. You know, it's, it's, it's all been done before. So mm. it's a bit disappointing to see it again in that respect. Um, the story has been used before, which I'm glad in some respects that it is quite a small story kept to one side rather than being a main thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's there's a lot of unspoken elements to their society. Um, it, they always sort of just about touch on it. There's never an outright hatred of the mink from the Valakis. Uh, there is this, um, you know, almost harmonious relationship to an outside observer there's no um deliberate attempt you know to swap the menk away when he gets in the way of hoshi and she's talking to him trying to get the translation um he doesn't talk down to him he just talks to him and sends him on his merry way there there isn't that racist story as such or at least they weren't pushing that angle because probably they knew they had this bigger ethical story to tell a bit later but there's a quite a lot here that they could have mined and perhaps even stayed with this planet for a good number of days and made this a two-parter, three-parter, maybe, you know, uh, be a focus for, for the show. Um, but I, I enjoyed that there was this kind of harmonious side to it, that they weren't going to instantly say, oh, the Menk are going to re rebel and we're going to help them and uh, we're standing in. And then, you know, T'Pol says, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't get involved. You know, this is their revolution or this kind of thing, which could have been a typical Star Trek way of going. They didn't. This was purely a medical drama and that was it. That's all they had to say. 
I'm, I'm so glad they didn't do it because it's mm. been done before in, mm. in other, especially a lot in the in the next in the sorry in the original series, mm. where you have the you know the people being held back and then the you know the bigger guys and you know, the you know, like I mentioned the clouds, the people who lived in the clouds, the people who lived on the on the ground. You know there was a big difference between the two, and they kept them that way. I thought, oh no, we're not going down this route again, are we? We're not having this story. We've done this before, and they didn't go down that. And, and it was, like you say, it was harmonious, but it was on the verge of being. We're holding them back. Yes. Yeah, it was almost there. Mm. Uh, but it only came out in the one character because we were only really talking to one character. And you know, the, 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 med, the huge medical guy. He was t- he was tall. Mm. I looked mm. him up. He's only six foot four. I was quite surprised. He looked like about six ten. He was huge. Um, so. Yeah, we spoke to him mostly, and I, I thought he was going to start saying, oh, no, this is just a porter. You know, he can go away now, you know, yeah. go back to your cave and do what you're doing. He sort of dismissed him, but didn't do it in a bad way. And, and thankfully, they then sort of moved away from that storyline and carried on with what they, what we got, which was which mm. was good enough. Mm. Yeah, it, it felt more institutional, that perhaps there was a bit of disdain, but no one was saying it outright, that mm. it, the, the Menk are... It, treated a certain way and that that's not necessarily right but no one notices it because it's always been that way he's just a mink that that's the way he yes it's borderline racism i mean Mm. borderline speciesism really Mm. but you know that's what they're sort of that's what frightens me when i see that i'm Mm. thinking it's are they going to tackle the racist issue here yeah and they don't they move away from it and i thought yes but really well maybe we've gone past that we don't have to now i mean maybe, i'd like to think we don't have to now but we obviously still do in parts um but it, it it frightens me when it gets close to that sort of yeah storyline and uh, are we really going to try and go down this route and, and mm. try and resolve racism in one great <laughs> yeah. swoop you know and well if star trek can do it in half an hour what's wrong with the rest of you, you know? so <laughs> they weren't but, painted yeah. half black half white that's the only thing no that's right yeah, yeah yeah i mean it wasn't that episode I mean, yeah it was a, it, it, you know the, that might get treated in other episodes but it wasn't this episode so absolutely um we move out of that by going to the dentistry scene um, I just want to point out how widely talented Flock seems to be. We've had episodes where he's done makeup. We've had episodes where he is obviously the doctor. Uh, he's also the vet, as we've just seen earlier in this episode, and he's also a dentist. So that's four separate qualifications. Um, you know, we've been talking about all the other crew members, but Flox is taking four jobs. These Denobulans coming over here, taking our jobs. Unbelievable. Um, but he, he does a nice job, but I do like the comedy scene where he's asking about Krim and Cutler and he asks for her opinion and he's got her mouth wide open. She's like, oh, oh, oh. Um, any thoughts on the dentistry scene? That was good. I'm just playing it now in the background so I can see it again. Yes. <laughs> there. That wasn't so bad. Hmm. <laughs> and you get to, oh, he's got this great big cavity, by the way. So <laughs> it's... um. Yeah, it's great. It's your typical dentist. Yeah, yeah. as soon as you put your fingers in your mouth, they ask you the question, and the thing is, they understand it. It's mm. no wonder they go to you know dentistry university or whatever it is to become dentists. It's purely just to learn how people say, "Oh yes, it's very nice. Thank you. I'm going on holiday next week, and it's 
Go to Anglesey. It's a very nice place. <laughs> oh, really? You'll go to Anglesey. It's a very nice place. Yes. Oh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> Even I couldn't understand what I was saying there. How on earth did you get it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, get it. this is the timetable. By, by Cuspids 101. Uh, Plark build up, uh, trying to decipher what they're saying. Yeah. Okay. That's right. <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, any excuse to get his fingers into into Topol's mouth to just keep it quiet, you know. <laughs> Stop talking, stop talking. <laughs> what was that? Vulcan what? <laughs> uh, uh, but she does say something very interesting that she says that humans like to, um, uh, uh, they get infatuated with something they find curious or that they are curious about. Um, uh, there was an episode earlier where she, uh, Crewman Cutler was fangirling on Topol. And now Crewman Cutler is being brought up in this conversation. And T'Pol is almost saying it as though, you know, she was my fangirl at one point and now she's, you know, fanning out on you. Um, maybe there's sour grapes behind this sentence and her a little bit of advice, I don't know. And because of that Vulcan reserve, we don't realise. But yeah, it's, it. Crewman Cutler was after her approval in Strange New World. And now um, Phlox is sort of saying, well, she's my big fan now. Uh, what should I do? Um, it just uh, it just made me laugh that she was mentioning that and uh, that she was uh, advising caution, having possibly even dealt with Krim and Cutler being a bit too obsessive with Vulcan culture before. Um, we now move from this nice character work and we really get the, the setup for what is going to be coming, the big uh, ethical issue on debate for this episode. We find out that the disease is genetic and that slowly the Valakis are dying away and they may even be gone in 200 years. There's also uh, the the discovery that perhaps this is actually an evolutionary disease, that they're being killed off because they weren't adapted to the environment as it is changing, but the Menk seem perfectly capable uh, and seem also able to adapt to the situation far better. Um, there seems to be two elements to the ethical issue that there's this should we give them warp drive and should we cure the disease uh do you see it as two issues or do you think it's all one um i yeah i was thinking it was just the one but no you mentioned it of course that yes the i'd forgotten about the warp drive uh part of it um i, su I suppose really it, it's it is one because without one you you don't have the other i mean there's no point in them giving giving them warp drive uh, and not helping them with their, with their, uh, the issues. Uh, it's no good just saying, here's warp drive, there might be some planets out there that you'll have. You'll find a cure for what you have. Mm. That's only half helping them. Or saying to them, here's, here's some help, but we're going to bugger off now and, and you can find out whether you can make a warp drive by yourselves. Mm. It, you either do it or you don't. You either help them or you don't. And I think really to sort of help them a little bit and stand back and say, but you really... It, it, I, it worries me when it, it's supposed to be Star, uh, Starfleet is supposed to help people. You know, yeah. They bring all these cultures and all these groups together so that we can one big group and we can share knowledge and we can share our, our you know, medical uh, data and we can we can share our language and customs and cultures and be you know um, a big uh, group of people that really all sort of help each other. Yeah. To then turn around and say, Prime Directive, we can't touch it. Um, you know, you've got to die. Sorry, you know that's just the way we are. That's not good enough. You, you know, you, that's that's the whole point. I mean, Archer did the right thing. Um, 
against against the wishes really of, of what you know Starfleet are and and, and what, at this point of, of time, you know he's helping them against their wishes really, mm. um, without their knowledge. So yeah, I it, it's it is one it's one issue, but which bit do you help first or do you help both at the same time? You don't want they've already made contact with with warp capable species. Why not help them? like they did on earth i know they're saying that humans had warp technology then they came along then the vulcans came along and said yeah. oh we now that you sent up the flare we found you it's not what happened here they found these guys they haven't got warp technology so they must have come down to them spoken to them now you've got to help them a little bit with the medical emergency bit in order for them to, to then maybe um find warp technology so if you do if you help one it's helping both at the same time mm. Yeah, it it put me in mind of all those adverts whenever you hear of, you know, give a man a fish or teach him to fish, you know, all those sorts of things. But the problem is, with the other ethical issue of do you cure the disease, this is teach a man to fish, you're going to kill a bunch of fish. Um, the, you know, you're thinking about the other species involved in this, that it's actually going to have a serious impact on them. If the Valakis do become warp capable and do find a cure, are you condemning people to a death? Um uh, or but, do the Velakis leave? Time, well, no. I think I think what you do is you is you help them, um, you know, with their their medical problem, and at the same time say, and we can help you with uh, warp technology, or you know, we can give you some ideas. But at the same time, you you must include the other species, otherwise, you're going to you know, we, uh, this is what this is because this is the way we do things in in Star Trek. We help others. Mm. So therefore, you need to help them, bring them up, educate them better. They are—they have so much potential to, and there's so much to give to your society that you should really help them, and you, you guide them along that path rather than driving a stake down the middle and saying, "No, you know, we'll give these guys the warp technology, but these guys are going to stay in the caves." Yeah. It's you know, it, you help both, mm. and that's what they—they they should be aiming for. Yeah, it seems odd that they hadn't already acquired it through the Ferengi or whichever other race they had managed to to meet that the Ferengi wouldn't have tried to uh, you know ingratiate themselves into other aspects of the culture um that if they they were asking for medical help that the Ferengi wouldn't have said well we can bring you this we can bring you that and try and upsell it hmm. Well, that's right. I mean, that's the thing about the Ferengi is they'll try to sell it. So they probably weren't ready for the cost of the uh, <laughs> of, of how much a warp capable ship would be and, and uh, the technology behind it. Um, and at the at the same time, you know, the, the, what are they what have they got that the Ferengi would need? I mean, the, the Ferengi are already warp capable and have a lot more technology. They have replicators things that these guys don't have what could they offer other than maybe some slaves who live in a cave oh. so it's yeah maybe the, the Ferengi went there realized there was no profit in in dealing with them and just moved on just moved on interesting yeah i like it um uh, a little scene where archer is in the hospital when he's talking to the original um uh Valachian that, that, that they were uh, meeting and he says that he has a lot of faith in flocks i'm not going to start singing the theme tune but it just made me chuckle uh but there is a lot of backwards and forwards on different scenes. There's either uh, Topol and Archer, where uh, Archer is saying that he's starting to see the Vulcan's point of view, that holding back the warp technology may you know, may have been a good idea. Let us figure it out for ourselves. Um, there's also the Flox Archer debate in the mess hall, where they're actually talking about you know getting involved and 
trying to correct nature, trying to play God. Um, any other thoughts on those particular scenes, those two scenes as they were played out? They're very deep, and I think um, I, I, like, I like the way that Archer says, you know, it, there's no point unless you've you've come up with a cure. And he says, I have. Mm-hmm. And he thinks, oh. Hmm. So yes, it's it's a nice comeback. It's probably one of the best comebacks I've, I've heard. Really, <laughs> don't come to me unless you've got a, an answer for this. I have an answer. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not the answer that you want. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's 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 a good debate, and uh, it does open that you know that dilemma: do you help or do you not? Absolutely. Yeah, and I do like that there was the interact the a mention of Neanderthals and what if they had been given uh, an evolutionary advantage by an alien species. Now, Flock says that that hadn't happened, but as we well know, back in season one of this podcast, that did in fact happen and aliens did turn up and uh, influence part of the human race uh, that led to Chakotay. Uh, so we've already seen that aliens were turning up and helping us out all along. Uh, so uh, not my favorite trope, <laughs> but there we go. You consider Chicote a help, do you? <laughs> well, good old chuckles. Three hundred years down the line, the three three hundred years in the future, not even <laughs> like helping us now when we need it. <laughs> you know, uh, he's he's good at yeah, bringing about a Kuchimoya and uh, he will find the way home. So yeah, uh, chuckles is always good in my book. I, I don't care what his Moya <laughs> looks like. <laughs> We're back to the mother-in-law jokes, aren't we? Um, no more. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it then goes on and uh, Archer makes the decision not to help, but they are going to give him some medicine to give them about 10 years. He's going to try and give them something that, you know, maybe like a little Band-Aid on the, uh, on the problem. Um, this solution, do you feel that that was satisfactory, that maybe there should have been more that they could have given them? Yeah, again, yes. How much do you help them? Um I mean, do you just go full on and say, look, we'll cure you and have done with it? Mm. Um, or, or do you just give them a little prod in the right direction and say, well, it's up to you guys. You've got to learn. How many people do you kill in doing that? You know, how many people are going to die before they learn how to, to cure the problem? Mm. Um, when you have the technology right there to do it straight away and not kill a lot of people. It's a huge, huge you know, issue, a, a huge debate. Um it's like, it's like going back and, and looking at uh, Burke and Hare, who, who mm. uh, two guys from London back in the when was it 1700s? Yeah, 1800s, maybe. 1800s. Yeah, um, yeah. Where they, they would take bodies and dissect them, and um, and the medical advances that were made by them doing that were are incredible. But it, where did they get the bodies from? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the question. So, yeah, it, it, how many people have to die before you? cure the, the problem or do you not kill anybody and just give them the thing and they haven't learned anything mm. yeah like you said before give a give a man a fish he feeds for the day give him a, a net and he downloads as much porn as he can <laughs> oh i don't even want to think about that that's <laughs> that, that that's something the frankie probably would have done um yes. but there we go um they didn't come to play god and uh there is going to be a drafted directive what a word uh to to come about uh but they've uh they've got some time to think about uh that about 100 years or so before that comes in uh there's a little sweet scene where Flox calls down to cutler and says i could really use a friend right now and that's the end of the episode um right we've located the episode uh any other thoughts 
uh, on the show? Um, yeah, I like the the uh, the fact that Hoshi is learning Denobulian in mm. the in the in the mess hall with Flocks. That's a great scene, and, and using as I'm sure everybody, it's a, it's again, it's a trope. Everybody at some point has tried to learn a language and use the wrong word. You know, mm. people in French that you know try to speak French and use poisson instead of. Um, you know, they say, oh, you're, you're sleeping with a fish. <laughs> so, um, yeah, things like that. I mean, I, I, I like that. And there's a, there's a bit of the subtitles, but they speak slowly. They're not rushing the, the lines. Billingsley is, is a, I don't know whether it, it, it's his acting style or whether it's Flox's style of speaking. <laughs> it's to start off very slow and uh, then until he speaks very quickly and then gets to the end of the sentence in one word, words. <laughs> it's it's a very very strange um, thing. He he's only really warming up in this scene. This is the first in this episode. This is the first episode he's really been given the whole show to to, to lead. Um, later on, I think he's trying to rush his lines into the scenes, the small scenes that he's got. So he, he speaks very quickly, and his, his lines, you know, come, his words are very few um, seconds apart. You know, it's all. Like I say, it's very very strange the way he slows down and then speeds up again in the middle of a sentence. Finishing on one word, uh, but I love him. I absolutely love John yeah. Billingsley. I love the way he comes back in the Orville. Mm. Uh, he played uh, um, in there with, ironically, Robert Picardo, um, which was a good day for the bad guy. It's just yeah. amazing. You know, it's great to see him in, in that uh, uh, thing. We and the constant smile that he has on his face. I mean, as the character, uh, when you look at him in real life, he does have a genuine smile that he, he seems to have on his face all the time. Maybe it's just a medical thing, but it, <laughs> uh, to be walking around with that grin on his face all the time is it must be tiring. <laughs> and I think we saw it in the first episode, uh, not so much later on, but when he does, uh, the character smiles, the smile just goes right yes. from ear to ear. It's a huge, huge smile that they put on him. It's obviously CGI, mm. or I hope it is. I hope we have not <laughs> clamps around his mouth. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of alien language in this episode, which I like as well. The fact that you know, nobody can understand each other, and and that's a theme that runs through not just Hoshi. Mm. Uh, it's like a, almost like a little Hoshi story. Mm. She's still learning the languages. She's still learning the uh, how to use the translator and making sure it works. So it's almost like a nice little uh, backstory of her as well. It's you know still learning. She's trying to learn Denoblian. She's trying to learn. You know, trying to get the translators to work. Nice little scenes there. Mm. We brought it up the first mention of the Prime Directive. Obviously, this, uh, that's the, the the big thing. Mm. Um, I just love John Billingsley. I think he's great. I love Flox. He's my favourite character in, in Enterprise. There's not enough of him in the series, I don't think. I think this is a great way to introduce him, but the, with the exception of a couple of more episodes later on, he doesn't really get much in the way of big scenes and big things. He he's, tends to be the less than a Dr. McCoy. Mm. He's not the third wheel in this, yeah. which is... Uh, a bit annoying. Yeah, they wanted to go for that trifecta of of the main three, the cast, you know, the holy trinity uh, that they were going for the the 2S feel of the show. And yeah, unfortunately, all the other car characters sort of suffer for that reason. Mm. Um, yeah. But at least flocks in the performances he gets really stands out, um, as opposed to maybe Travis, who wasn't given enough to have that chance to stand out um, other than maybe Unfortunate Son where he had a, some great scenes and he was debating with the other members of the, the freighter teams um, you know he wasn't really given anything else after that whereas at least Flox had a few medical dramas to deal with even if it wasn't a Flox episode uh, he had something to say the um, the guy who plays the uh, astronaut they get from the, the 
shuttle that mm. takes off and they, they think. Um, Christopher Rydell, he plays him. He's the son of Mark Rydell. Mm. Um, and uh, he's, a, he's the son of, of director Mark Rydell, I should say, and actor Joan Linville. Joanne Linville, in fact. Joanne Linville, who sadly passed away this year in June, was the first ever female Romulan seen on screen in Star Trek, the original series, oh, The wow. Enterprise Incident. Ah. This is her son. Oh, wow. So this is like a you know continuity. It's the next generation coming in. That's awesome. Yes. It's a bit weird because chronologically, he appears before she does, chronologically. Yeah. But not in real life, obviously. Timey-wimey stuff. Uh, That's what it is. Timey-wimey stuff, yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. To, to quote so another like franchise. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So consequences. We've covered Prime Directive. Uh, we've covered that um, there is a pooper scooper on the ship. Um, uh, any other consequences that will come from this in our LCARS rating system? Um, that's that's hard to say. I mean, the, the, the biggest consequence, obviously, is they've helped these guys and they won't die in 200 years. They may have delayed it or they may have cured it. Um, we, we may find out. I'm not too sure whether these guys are mentioned again in Star Trek lore or not? I'm, I'm don't not think aware. So. I don't think so. Yeah, not as far as I could find out. Yeah, it would have been interesting if this had been popped up in, in Voyager or TNG or something and said, uh, oh, I am a, you know, one of these guys, I've forgotten the name the, of these guys. The Valakians. Valakians. Or the Mank. You know. Or the Mank, yeah, that's right. The Mank that comes along and say, yeah, oh yes, my son was helped by the uh, you know, Federation many years ago. That would have been a nice little callback, but obviously it's retro. You can't do it that way mm. because of family wimey stuff. Right. Um, so I don't think there is really much in the way. But there's, the big consequence is obviously yes, the, 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 this, these two groups are still alive, and the prime directive comes into uh, being. So yes, that's the that's the two consequences. Really. Mm. From that uh, alterations is our next category. Uh, is there anything you would like to have seen expanded or altered about the episode? Uh, or do you think it just stands on it uh, on its own and should stay as it is? I think it stands on its own. I think it's a nice little dear doctor. You know, like I said about Mash before, it's a nice little episode where you get the the, the character describing his day and or his week or his month or whatever it is, um, what he does and what and looking at um, human beings through an alien's eyes. I think which is the whole point of the aliens in Star Trek and the likes of Data in, in, in The Next Generation. Um, I, I like those sort of episodes where it, you know the, the, it's unusual for you know, uh, an alien race to have an animal as a pet, and mm. yet there he is feeding his pets. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm very surprised he um, anthropomorphic, uh, anthropomorphizes um, anthropomorph anthropomorphic personification is go. the word I like to use, because I can <laughs> say that one. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he does that to an animal, and yet there he is saying, you know, here, have some bugs, and have a piece of this. Oh, you're lively today. Oh, you've been busy last night. Ooh. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pot and kettle. Come on. <laughs> um, so it's a standalone episode. I like it. I like it a lot because of that. It it does highlight, you know, some, A, a big issue, B, brings in the Prime Directive, but it's still just a standalone mm. nice little episode. Yeah. Uh, I'm the exact same as the episode stands you don't need to touch it i think it's it works as it is there are so many other avenues they could have gone but didn't like we pointed out with the the racial story that they could have told perhaps a revolution of the mink uh the uh the fight back uh against their oppressors that's not a route they went down um they wouldn't have had time to do it in 45 minutes uh or to have given it any kind of justice 
maybe turn it into a two-parter and have that as an added element. The, I think for me, though, I, I like the episode as it is. There was only one scene missing where it should have been a conference room scene, where it should have had maybe the perspectives of all the other characters. And again, it comes back to that idea that not all the characters got good development. You know, you could have had um, Reed saying, well, if we give them more technology, what if they become aggressive? What if there's a side of this culture we haven't seen before? He gives the tactical perspective. Then you've got Travis and said, well, when we turned into the Draylax colony, um, you know, we gave them a bit more technology that they hadn't seen before. They then ran away with it and there was all this violence or there was this chaos. And it's just feeding into this idea that Archer will then change his mind. I, I think that Flox argued his case well, and that's why Archer changed his mind, but to give him a few more perspectives. Uh, we already know what T'Pol would have said, but it would have been nice to have seen what the other crew would, might have done. Maybe even have Trip do something and say something. Give him some catfish. I don't know. Um, you know, show them new food. I don't know. Uh, but there, there will seem to be enough there for, for this episode to stand on its own, but I just wanted a little bit more. That's all I would want. So that's continuity and that's alteration. So we go on to R on our LCAR system and that's recommendations. And we always start with, do we recommend to Star Trek fans? Yes. It explains who Dr. Flox is. Um, it shows his relationships. It shows the prime directive in, coming into being and that debate about whether you should help or not. Um, yes, I think it's a, a very good episode to show people of what enterprise is all about mm. and where it stands in history yeah yeah and i i actually think this episode might be one of my favorite season one episodes throughout star trek take all of season ones from everything i know tos is the anomaly and that's actually the, the better season one but i think this is probably my favorite way of explaining star trek as it is and having that uh, good introduction to crew character the idea of ethical debates, that it doesn't have to be all resolved with fist fights, that actually you can have a really decent episode, a medical drama uh, and a love story and everything else all in between as well. Um, so yeah, to Star Trek fans, I could not uh, go without recommending this. To non-Star Trek fans, do you think that works just as well? Yes, because we have slight introductions of two of the crew in, in uh, Reed and uh, Trip. Uh, without really explaining who they are or what they are. So that would be a little bit awkward, but it shows the doctor um, and it shows uh, what Starfleet is all about, is helping people, uh, meeting alien races and, and helping them, even though there is this debate about whether they should or shouldn't. And then the prime directive comes into being sort of after this. And so that's a good way of introducing why and how in future episodes you might get um, uh, the crew not helping somebody for a particular reason so um yeah i like it and i think because it's slightly unusual in it being first person mm. sort of narrative um it's not too heavy on the star trek yeah so it's therefore a bit easier for somebody who's not star trek to watch it absolutely um i'm going to invoke something i haven't done for a while on this podcast and say that my kids watch this one I was Ooh. watching it. Uh, I did watch the first watch through, second for taking notes, and I did a third pre the episode just to make sure that it's fresh in my mind. And it was playing in the background. And Nathan, my middle child, who never listens to anything I do, was engaged by it. And he was like, well, shouldn't they be helping the Neanderthals? And he called them the Neanderthals. So he understood what the episode was really getting at. Um, it engaged him. 
he was there. There wasn't a single explosion. And he normally likes all the war and fighting episodes. But for some reason, this stuck with him. He also likes his history. So maybe it plays on that aspect as well. But yeah, to non-Star Trek fans, I think it's a great introduction. It's a great way of showing the Star Trek universe without it being too tropey. It didn't feel like it relied too heavily on you knowing too much and playing into the Star Trekness of the universe. And I think also John Billingsley is a likable character you know, in himself and also as an act, you know, as an actor and also as that character as Flux. Mm. He is instantly, he's got that smile on his face all the time. So instantly you're drawn to him. And, and because he's a nice person, uh, you know, his character is a, you know, a nice sort of character, uh, easygoing. And, and I think that draws people in as well. It's, uh, oh, this is a nice guy. You know, and he's doing all the right things for the right reasons. And, um, I, I, so for non-Star Trek people, I think that's a, a good way to bringing them in as well. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect place to end it there, I think. Um, well, thank you, or should I say uh, tick tick to uh, to Paul for being my guest on here. Uh, the Menk thank you, in case you haven't seen the episode. Um, but thank you for joining me again, Paul. Um, I promise I will try and find you the key card to let you out the waiting room in Temporal Directive. So, uh, yeah, if you would, because this uh, replicator, I've, I think I've been through every single variance, variant on the menu. It's getting a bit, you know, saliva and slee slugs is a bit uh, repetitive after a while. Just yeah. a bit, just a bit. The grubs, they just really get to you. Um, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll try and find it. I'll, I'll have a word with uh, with uh, Commander Pad, my uh, my commanding officer so uh, i'll see if i can get you some new uh, rations if i can't find you the key card all right thank you okay thank you then. very much um right well uh, all that remains on the l car system is the s the setup for the next episode join me next time as we go to sleeping dogs season one on enterprise uh, season one episode uh, 13 for us and uh, it'll be zero minutes and zero seconds as always, tick tick for listening, and I'll see you in the next time stream. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to like, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to it. If you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback, you can contact me by either searching for the Temporal Trek Podcast Facebook page or find me on Twitter at Rider underscore Coattail. Also search the Temporal Trek Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore Writer. All the timestamps for the show can be found at ridingcoattails.simplesite.com. The scripted elements of the show are a work of pure fan fiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty-free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream.